Good morning. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're very excited to have all of you with us on this, uh, as Daryl said, the spring break and uh, hour change daylight savings uh, Sunday morning, which is one of those Sundays where you get an extra credit check uh, in heaven by your name. Uh, God goes through and goes, check, you were there. Be honest, though, how many of you showed up 30 minutes early for the 930 service? that you thought you were coming to the 9.30 service. Okay, yeah, we did have a chair guy show up today at 9.30 ready to set up the chairs because we always set them up at 8.30. And we're like, you're an hour late. Um, So he said he was in Arkansas, and they don't do things like this in Arkansas for a while. So that was his excuse, but we're very excited to have you with us today. Uh, We have been going through during this series, The Jesus Way, uh, talking to volunteers through different ministries around New Heights in the church and, and discovering why people serve. And today we're going to do something a little different. Um, you may not recognize uh, the lady sitting to my left. Um, that's because she doesn't go to church here. Uh, that's okay. We still love her. Um, she is actually uh, somebody much more special. She is a regular at the Foundry, uh, the coffee shop that is we have opened on Wesatch and McCullough. She is uh, there uh quite frequently, uh, so much so that most of us know her drink order, um, a medium to large decaf. Uh, I think you go back and forth sometimes, and then you get some food sometimes, but that's another story. Um, and, uh, and she is gracious enough to come and speak to us from a little different angle because the foundry is kind of a different animal um, in and of itself, and, and the service there is kind of takes on a different connotation. But what, uh, what she also has to her credit, which also will give us some insight, is she works for KLRN. You might know it as the public television station here in town. And she uh, runs, is in charge of, I said it wrong last time, and I'm going to say it wrong again, Ellen, uh, of volunteers in some sort. She controls volunteers' lives is what I'm going to say. Um, but if you would, please join me in welcoming Ms. Ellen Davis. Said <laughs> wrong. And by Ellen Davis, what I mean is Ellen Evans. Yeah, there you go. Uh, y'all didn't know. Only Ellen knew that I was wrong. Um, Ellen, thank you so much for for coming today. You're welcome. Um, Why do you go to the Foundry? Well, I like to support local businesses. So I was really excited to see that there was a local coffee shop opening up in my neighborhood. Um, So that really intrigued me. You know, the weeks heading up to the opening of the Foundry, um, my friends who lived in the neighborhood, we kept... um, you know, peeking in the windows saying, oh, did you realize a coffee shop is opening up? And, um, and we weren't quite sure it was going to launch because it seemed to take forever. Um, <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> but other than that, um, you know, the, the price of the coffee and whether it's a, um, a muffin that I order if I skip my breakfast at home, if I'm running late, um, it, it fits into my budget compared to other coffee places in town. It, how often do you spend time there? I don't spend a lot of time at the Foundry, um, even though I, I do visit anywhere from two to four times weekly. I'm usually dashing in, getting my order, and then rushing off to work. What do you think sets the Foundry apart from other, other coffee houses around the community? Most definitely your mission, your non-for-profit, and it's nice to know that the money will be going to a mission of some sort. Um, and then, most importantly, I believe it's your volunteers. Um, you, when I come in in the morning, I'm always greeted with a friendly hello. Um, people do know my name, but not just my name. They know other people's names also. Um, and because I said you work for KLRN and are in charge of volunteers somehow, I, I picture you this big puppet master over the, over the <laughs> volunteers there. We thought you might have some inspiration for us on, on about volunteers. So what could we learn that would help us get more people involved? 
I'm always discussing um, this question with our volunteer coordinator. Um, and really, the key thing is that your volunteer coordinator needs to be a cheerleader, um, needs to be motivating the volunteers, telling them they're doing a great and wonderful job, um, constantly being out there telling the story, not just in New Horizons, but also with other groups within the church and with other groups within the community. You have to constantly be telling the story to let them know that the Foundry needs volunteers um, and what your mission is. And then also encourage your church members and your volunteers to tell a friend. Ask them to come along and volunteer with them. What do you think makes a good volunteer? Number one time. You have to have time to, in order to volunteer. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to be idle with our time. Um, and the Foundry is one good way um, for your volunteers not to be idle. It gives them a purpose. And then also, um, I, I truly believe a good volunteer is giving of self. They're in it because they want to help the company. They want to help the organization. They believe in the mission. Um, it's when we have volunteers that are there only because they, they somehow gain um, from material items out of the experience. It's free when, coffee. Well, <laughs> not necessarily for free coffee. For both of our cases, um, probably. <laughs> well, um, from my experience, it's usually free wine or something like there that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's when there's um, an ulterior motive, sometimes that's, that's not always the best volunteer. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your Sunday morning. I know that this isn't where you normally are, and so we're, we're very appreciative of you coming and spending some time with us and sharing your, your wisdom and just your thoughts and, and showing the people who have never been to the foundry that we do have people that come back, um, you know, so that we're, we're actually doing something okay. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to pray for you and for the volunteers of the foundry. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Ellen and for her giving of her time, sacrificing her time from her family to come to us this morning and to share her wisdom with us. Lord, we ask that you would bless her because of this. Lord, we thank you for all the, the volunteers that serve at the Foundry and, and those that are volunteers but just don't know it yet. God, we ask that you would give them wisdom uh, on how to love the community of the Foundry and of uh, Monta Vista where we're located in a way that shows them the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Ellen. And as she's stepping down, um, one, she said New Horizons. Anybody else catch that? Yes, or even. All right, on that Ellen Davis thing. Just kidding, Ellen. I'm sorry. Uh, so right now I'd ask two. There's two volunteers, uh, New Heights volunteers, or coffee shop volunteers. David and Ben, would you come forward? I'll come down to you. David and Ben um, went through the membership class and uh, have completed all of the, the traditions and rituals and pledge night and all that stuff. There you go, David. Uh, this is Ben Melville and David Hammer. And uh, and I, I got to be honest, when I saw that David Hammer was joining, I was like, seriously, he's not a member already? I mean, he's been coming here for years and years and years and serves and volunteers and does all kinds of stuff. And apparently he's a slacker in that regard. Um, so I, I asked the, the two of you, do you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior and promise to serve him as Lord? Yes. And will you support this part of the body of Christ with your prayers, your presence, your time, your service, and your witness? If so, I extend to you the right hand of Christian fellowship and welcome you into this part of the body of Christ. Ben and David will be up here after the service. And if you want to know about, if you've been here for a long time like David, how many years have you been here, seriously, before you went to this class? Since 99. We started New Heights in 
99. There you go. So if you have, you can't have eclipsed this, but if you come close to that, please come and just welcome them into our fold and, uh, and thank you very much. I'm still church shopping. <laughs> so now. <laughs> He said he was still church shopping. Um, so we are in the, in the midst of a series entitled The Jesus Way, Conversations on the Way That Jesus Is The Way. And what we've been doing over the past many weeks is looking at, well, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you've got to do that, right? You've you got to follow Jesus Christ. When, when Christ was lo- walking along the shore and he calls the disciples, come follow me, he didn't just mean to literally walk behind him. What he meant was, come and be like me. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you want to be like Jesus Christ, not like Mike. You want to be like Christ. And so how do you do that? For too long, we've put so much importance on the truth. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, we go to that truth thing and we stay in that truth thing and we forget the way thing. That it's not just about the head knowledge, not just about knowing the facts of the Bible. It's about knowing how Christ lived his life. And yes, this is the way we know. But if we want to truly be in the way, if we want to truly follow Jesus Christ, we must begin to live our lives more and more like his. And so we've been looking at different people throughout uh, this series that have exemplified that in one way or another. We've been using Eugene Peterson's book, The Jesus Way, a conversation on the way that Jesus is the way. And Last week you talked about uh, you got the varsity squad, um, as I like the pro team, if you will. David Manitsky was in here preaching, and uh, he was slumming, as he likes to call it, and uh, and he was uh, giving you uh, Elijah, and, and the week before that David, and and this week we go to another one of the heavy hitters of the Old Testament, Isaiah. Now Isaiah is an interesting book. It's very long, and academics will tell you that it's written by three different authors. That the Isaiah who wrote the first is broken down into three books, and three different authors wrote those first those different three books, and whatever. Isaiah the prophet. What can you learn from Isaiah the prophet, and how to live your life like Christ? If you want, if you want to truly be in the way, if you want to truly get closer to God, what can you see in Isaiah's life that will teach you that? And you know, Isaiah is such a big heavy hitter of the Bible that, uh, that Peterson takes two chapters to tell his story. And so you will get Isaiah this week and next week. It'll be different, but it will be Isaiah. One of the things that I think you really can grasp from Isaiah is something that, well, let me, let me tell it to you like this. Do you remember where you were in nine 11? I mean, do you have that memory? I know some generations remember where they were when Kennedy was shot. My generation knows exactly where they were at 9-11. I remember where I was at the World Series earthquake in 1989. I was living in uh, California, Northern California at the time. I was in high school. I remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing. Upstairs in my parents' bedroom watching an episode of The Brady Bunch. That's right. Get over it. I was watching The Brady Bunch. It was a rerun. It was a great one. I don't remember what it was. But I remember exactly where I was. I remember just where I was when 9-11 occurred. And... Do you remember what you did immediately after that? Like, you, you get the knowledge, you hear that this has happened, and do you remember what you did right after that? I was in seminary at the time in Fort Worth at TCU, and I was in class. And uh, so I was in my usual position, very back of the class, very back seat in the corner. 
had my crossword puzzles out before me because I had multiple classes that day and I didn't have to move from that seat. And so what I would do is I'd go up and I'd camp out in my little spot and I'd go through the first class and then go through the second class and then the third and then I'd go home. But on this day, we we go through the first class and at the end of it, somebody walks in and says, uh, class has been canceled for the rest of the day. They shut down the campus of TCU and we're all like, you know, woohoo, why? Uh, As any good college student would do, go woohoo first and then ask why later. Um, and, And they told us what what happened and and so immediately there was just kind of you know people stared at one another and then i so i, I left i i walked out you know grabbed my crossword puzzles got my books and went down to my truck and drove home and and the first thing i did was turn on the television the first thing i did i remember doing is watching katie kirk and matt lauer explaining to me what went on About an hour later, Jenna was at school. About an hour later, I, I found myself on my knees in our living room praying. I didn't know what I was praying. I didn't know. I just found myself compelled to get on my knees. And that's not like me. Anyone that knows me and Jenna was here at 930 knows that I'm not a prayer like that. I pray, but I'm not, I'm not a genuflector very often. And so it was a weird experience for me. But as I think about it and as I remember it, my first reaction was to go to Matt and Katie. My first reaction in this crisis of America was to go to the world and go to the news. I'm sure many of you had the same reactions when you heard about it. You wanted to find out what was going on. So you went to the Internet or you went to a radio or you went to the news and tried to find out what was going on and would there be more. There was a crisis going on in Isaiah's world. That was huge. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, it says this, In the year King Uzziah died. Now this is significant. That, those words right there are significant because it sets the stage for the crisis. If you don't know who King Uzziah is, you don't get why it's such a big deal. He was the king of Israel. He was a pretty powerful king. He was a loved king. For the most part, he had some bad moments in his kingship. But he ruled for 52 years. He took the throne at age 16 and for 52 years did a good job of ruling the people of Israel. One of his greatest occurrence, one of his greatest uh, events, one of the greatest things he did, accomplishments, that's what I'm looking for, is to keep the most powerful, big, bad dude dog on the planet at bay. There was... A country by the name of Assyria, the Assyrians, they were mean. They were that kid on the, on the playground that beat everybody up. They would go through countries and just ravish them. And somehow he was able to keep them out of Israel. Somehow through political savvy, through his intelligence, through his strength, whatever it was, he was able to keep the Assyrians out. And it's not like the Assyrians didn't want in. They would come to the borders and try to get in, but he would stand firm and somehow kept them out. So when he died, the country went into a state of panic. They knew the Assyrians. They knew what the Assyrians were capable of. They knew what the Assyrians had done, their track record. And they knew that the Assyrians were waiting to get into Israel and do the same thing. So when the king died, they had a crisis on their hands. He says, in that year, I saw the Lord. 
That's pretty heavy right there in and of itself, isn't it? Because nobody sees God, the face of God, without dying. He says, in that year, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe was filled. His his robe filled the temple. Hovering around him were mighty seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with the remaining two, they flew. In a great chorus, they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The glorious singing shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. Then I said, My destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He has a realization that King Uzziah is not the true king. At this moment, he sees who the true king is, the Lord Almighty. And yet, he knows because he is a sinful man that his fate has been sealed. Then one seraphim flew over to the altar and he picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. Isaiah was in the middle of a crisis just as the rest of the people in his country were. And his first reaction is to go to God. His first reaction in the midst of a crisis is to go to God. Is to go to God. In the midst of his world crumbling around him, I'm sure he was scared. I'm sure he was terrified, just like everybody else in Israel. Well, now we're done for. We're going to be slaves. Isaiah was a young man at the time. He knew that tough things were in store for him. And he goes to God. And we find ourselves in the midst of a crisis in our own country these days. An economic crisis of which my generation has never seen. Most generations have never seen. I got to be honest with you, up until last week, I kind of just sailed through it going, eh, you know, I, I don't have any money. It's not affecting me. <laughs> you know, you can't lose money if you don't have it. I have friends that are in the financial industry and, and they're sweating. They're hurting. They, they tell me things. One, one friend told me that um, his company was uh, telling them to tell their clients to begin to store food. Yeah, to begin to store food. Are you like, what? And I just kind of went, y'all are nuts. So last week I was, uh, I was working out, and as I always do, I listened to uh, podcasts on my, on my iPod, and, and it was one from uh, an NPR show that I, I love to listen to called This American Life, and, and you might be familiar with it. Uh, and one of the stories that they did was they have these two guys that are economic uh, advi- – they're not advisors. They, they do stories on the economy for many different NPR programs. And one of the things they did is they kind of did a radio drama of our current economic crisis. And they presented it in such a way that people like me can understand it. You know, those of us that have a very rudimentary knowledge of the economy, when you hear like Alan Greenspan used to talk, you'd be like, what? (laughs) Is he even speaking English? I mean, come on. He sounds like Winnie the Pooh. And anybody ever remember that? He sounded like Winnie the Pooh. And I have no idea what he's saying. 
you know, I used to listen to those reports and I listen to them today. And if I turn on like MSNBC, after 30 seconds, my head hurts. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. And so I call my brother-in-law, Jeff, who stands right here and sings and, and he's a financial guy. And I'm like, what he's saying is like, I don't know. Not really. Jeff knows he's very confident in his job. But they did it in a way that, that I was able to understand it. And I got to tell you, it scared me. It, re- it really scared me. I mean, I didn't go out to HEB and start buying cans of soup. But at the same time, I really kind of evaluated things in our life. I, I really kind of tried to, try, okay, now let me get this straight. And it really, for quite a while, put shivers in, in my spine. And I started to wonder, well, what if? You know, a lot of times in crises, we, we kind of just, our mind goes numb. And we don't know what to think. You walk into a doctor's office and you get a report and it's not the report you're expecting. And your mind goes numb. What do I think? We just had a young man in our community die of a heart attack, of an aneurysm and a heart attack. He was a, an anesthesiologist. He was a great guy by everyone's account. He was 55 years old. 55 years old. His wife and children, I'm sure right now, are numb. Saying, what now? I can't think straight. I can't look straight. I don't know where to go. Eugene Peterson, before he wrote this book, The Jesus Way, was interviewed. And somebody asked him, he said, when somebody comes to you, a congregant comes to you with a problem... And it's a problem that you can't fix. What do you say? He said, as a pastor, if I don't point them to the fact that God is bigger than that problem, if I am not doing that in my job all the time, then I'm failing as a pastor. In essence, what he said is exactly what Isaiah says. God is bigger. God is bigger than this crisis with the Assyrians. God is bigger than terrorists. God is bigger than our economy. God is bigger than cancer. God is bigger than you fill in the blank. God is bigger than that. God is bigger than that. When you experience a crisis, when you experience pain or suffering in your life, go to God. Go to God. Don't go to Katie Kirk and Matt Lauer first. Go to them second. Go to God first. Go to God first. God is bigger than those things. God is bigger than anything we could ever encounter in our life. God is bigger than. And here's the follow-up part of it that, that comes from reading this passage. Is God loves us so much. God loves us so much and forgives us. You get that? Isaiah goes in there and he does something he's not supposed to do. He's a sinful man and he peers upon the holy of holies. And God sends an angel and he cleanses him. You know, he puts the, the coal on his lips and we're like, well, well, that's just mean. Why would you do that? Does he have Carmex nearby? You know, that's what kind of where I go. It, but what it means is it, it's an allusion to his heart. If you remember the parable of Jesus, it's like whatever comes out of your mouth signifies what is in your heart. So whatever you say is who you are. And so what that angel is doing is forgiving who Isaiah is as a sinful man. 
I'm offering you my forgiveness because I love you so deeply and greatly. Now, who's going to go out there for me? I mean, if Isaiah just sat on his hands, we'd think, what are you doing? You just saw God. You just had the great love of God come upon you. You saw the true king of all kings. You know now who is in charge of all things. You know that God is bigger. You know that God will forgive. When Jerry Maguire stands up and says, who's going with me? Isaiah's going, I am. I am. And sometimes that's hard in our life when we're in the midst of pain and suffering. When we're in the midst of a crisis. Sometimes it's hard to say, I will go with you. I will go into the world. But that is what we need to do. And that is what the world needs, especially in a time of global crisis. For those of us who have seen God, who have experienced the love of God, who have been forgiven of our sins by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are the ones who, when God says, who will I send out there? We are the ones who are to raise our hand and say, I will go. I've experienced pain. I've experienced suffering. I've experienced crisis in my life. I will go. I will go because you are bigger, God. You are bigger than all of these things in our world, all of these things in our life. You are bigger, and you love me more than I could ever imagine. Who will go? Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being a God who is so great and so mighty and so powerful that you transcend any crisis that could come in our life. I know, Lord, that when it happens to us, that we are in the midst of pain and the raw agony that comes sometimes. It's easy for us to turn away from you, but God, help us to come first to you. Help us to run to you. Help us to know that you are bigger than and that you love us so desperately and so deeply. Lord, you are calling each of us. You are saying to each of us, who will go for us? Let us be the ones to raise our hand and say, I will. Lord, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.